Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So Romans chapter 14, beginning at verse 13, the word says, the word of the Lord reads, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do you do not destroy the one for whom Christ died? So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and improved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual building. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or anything else that causes your brother to stumble. The faith you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin this is the word of the lord j adams once wrote few things are sapping the strength of the church of jesus christ more than the unreconciled state of so many believers. So many have matters deeply embedded in their craws, like iron wedges forced between themselves and other Christians. They can't walk together because they do not agree when they should be marching side by side through the world, taking men captive for Christ. They're acting instead like an army that has been routed and scattered and whose troops in their confusion have begun fighting amongst themselves. Nothing is sapping the church of Christ of her strength so much as these unresolved problems, these loose ends among believing Christians that have never been tied up. There is no excuse for this sad condition, for the Bible does not allow for loose ends. God wants no loose ends. And to that, you could almost just say amen and then walk out of here. But the word is alelon, alelon. That's the Greek word for the term one another. And this is a word that occurs in the New Testament over a hundred times, one another. And approximately 59 of these occurrences are specific commands for Christians, teaching us how and how not to relate to one another. Mark chapter 9, verse 50, 
We're told to be at peace with one another. John chapter 6, verse 43, do not grumble among one another. Romans 12, 16 and 15, 5 said to be of the same mind with one another. Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another. Galatians 5, 15 says, don't devour one another. Galatians 5.26 says, don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. Ephesians 4.2 says, gently, patiently tolerate one another. Ephesians 4.23 says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, seek good of one another. James 4.11 and 5.9 says, don't complain against one another. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. Romans 12.10 says, give, give preference to one another. Philippians 2.3, regard one another as important, more important than yourselves. Galatians 5.13, serve one another. Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, clothe yourself in humility towards one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, comfort one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage and build up one another. Hebrews 10.24, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. James 5.16, pray for one another. 1 Peter 4.9, be hospitable to one another. And then in verse after verse after verse after verse after verse and after verse, in the New Testament it says to love one another. And in Romans 14, in our text today, we are told not to judge one another. And I can go on and on because there are more. But these, right, one another statements in the New Testament form the basis of true Christian community. It is about one another. Right? And this forms our true Christian community, and it has a direct impact on our witness to the rest of the world, which is what we've been talking about here in Romans 14, what it means to live this born again, new life as a believer in light of God's mercy and the gospel of his grace. As you know, Romans is, is a letter that is the greatest exposition of the gospel in scripture. And Paul says right from the beginning that it is the very power of God. It is the very power of God to save everyone who believes it. And in the first 11 chapters, Paul unpacks for us what it is is and how that's true in the first few chapters he explains what the gospel is the bad news that we are all sinners under god's wrath and condemnation but it's the good news that we are justified by faith in christ and what he has done for us in his life death and resurrection he then explains the blessing the gospel gives to those who believe including peace with god access to his grace and the love of God being poured out into our hearts. And then he explains to us how then the gospel works. Just as Adam was our representative before God in the garden through birth, Jesus is our new covenant representative through rebirth and faith. And then after explaining the freedom the gospel provides, Paul shows us the glorious truth that all believers have, that everyone who trusts in Christ are safe, immutably safe in the hands of God. And then right after that, Paul explains the reason for this hope and the security of that hope. And that is the faithfulness and the sovereignty of God himself. Salvation is a plan of God and is accomplished by him. And then after explaining all that, Paul gets real practical and he tells us how we're to live 
in light of this, this new born again life here and now in light of God's mercy. Beginning in in chapter 12, Paul tells us to live as a living sacrifice. Not allowing ourselves to be shaped by the world around us, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, seeking to live in a way that's pleasing to him. And the manifestation of that life or the fruit of that life that's lived for God is in how we live in relationship with one another and the rest of the world as a witness. And Paul says the way that we live as a witness to the rest of the world and God's goodness, showing God's goodness to the world is to be both a good neighbor and a good citizen. But the most important part of how we demonstrate God's goodness, how we witness God's goodness, is how we live in community with one another. That's the most important part. In chapter 13, Paul explains that we who belong to the family of God ought to humbly submit ourselves to one another, loving each other with a sacrificial love and serving each other and recognizing that we are a family and part of one another. Our unity in Christ unifies us together. And then in chapter 14, Paul begins to talk about how the gospel and our witness and our love for one another ought to draw us closer together in unity in spite of the many differences between us, especially the differences in things that are non-essential. Paul tells us that we're not to argue about these things. And we're certainly not to judge one another or to despise each other over these things. In fact, each one of us is to be convinced in our own minds about things like food and wine and the such. Each person needs to study out all of the issues for themselves, prayerfully deciding for themselves and their consciences what's the right course of action for them. Being careful not to bind the consciences of those who have not seen things that way or their consciences are convinced differently on the non-essential issues and the overarching point that paul is making is that what unites us in the family of god christ and his gospel is greater than any of the other things that could divide us now again paul isn't saying that we then can have differing opinions about the fundamentals of our faith the truth is the fundamentals are those things that unite us Without those things, we are not a family. And he isn't saying that the issues that we disagree on are important to us, because they are important to us. And he's not saying that we should never talk about them or that we should never even have civil debates. He's saying that we should not feel superior to our brethren and judge them and despise them for the things that they see differently than us. Our love for God and each other ought to be strong enough to keep us together in the fellowship of believers. It ought to be strong enough to hold us together as family, as the world seeks to divide us. And so the first half of chapter 14 is about protecting the unity of our faith by not judging one another over non-essential issues. Us not looking down our noses at one another in areas that we disagree But the second half of this chapter, the second half is really, for me, where the rubber meets the road with respect to Christian love, because it's the hardest. Because this is the place that all of the one another statements in the Bible 
come together in one point of selfless, sacrificial love that God intends for us to live in toward one another. And, and that is not to allow ourselves to be a stumbling block for one another. In fact, turn with me to Romans uh, 14, verse 13. Paul says, therefore, in light of all that we've talked about, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Summary of what he just said. And then he says, but rather, instead, decide, choose, intentionally make a point to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. This right here is the main point of this section and it's really the spirit of what it means to live in community with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we not only refrain from passing judgment on one another in areas that we disagree, but we don't use our Christian freedom in a way that becomes a stumbling block for those who were in the family of God. The point that Paul is making here is that we are to willingly set aside our freedom in order to not be an obstacle in the faith of our brothers and sisters in Christ around us who might not see things the way that we do. Paul is calling us to make real Christian sacrifice here. And I have to tell you, this is the point that's the hardest. And this is the point that most of us in the modern American church fail to learn. This is not something that gets talked about a lot. This is something that many of us just ignore altogether because if there's anything that we are good at in our individualistic culture, it is to flaunt our freedom. Because we want to live how we want to live. We want to talk how we want to talk. And people just need to accept that. We want to treat people how we want to treat people. We want to just express the unvarnished opinions that we have on everything. And people should just accept it. Whether it's theology or culture or politics. It doesn't matter who we upset or who we offend. In fact, we demand. We demand as Americans that people respect our freedom. It seems that many of us, and this has been me at times, many of us, for many of us, living out our freedoms is vastly more important than loving our brothers and sisters in Christ around us. But brothers and sisters, that is not the life that we're called to. Paul says, never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, the word stumbling block literally means to strike your foot on something. It's like, like stubbing your toe or you know, catching your foot on a little rock outside. The idea is that you could fall. And, and the word hindrance actually is a little bit more to the point. It's actually suggesting a snare or a trap. And the idea is that we are not to use the freedom we have in Christ in a way that becomes a snare or a trap or a place for someone to fall down and hurt themselves and get caught up in. Well, how does that even work? How do we use our freedoms in a way that snares others? That seems like it's their problem, not ours. Well, Paul says... I know that I, and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. 
Now, he's talking specifically about food here, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Now, this is an important part of the issue here. First of all, when Paul says nothing is unclean in itself, he is not prescribing antinomianism. He is not saying, right, that everything under the sun is permissible for Christians, as some people have taught, I've heard. Some people will say that Paul's words here in other places justify any behavior that you want as long as you believe in Jesus, even though that many of those things are overtly sinful and reprehensible. This is not Paul's prescription here. It's not what he's talking about. What he's referring to, as we just mentioned, food. And this food is an example that's a model for other things. And what he's saying is there is no longer a distinction between clean and unclean foods, which means it's okay to eat bacon or ham or shellfish or the meat that may have been sacrificed to idols. Even though that before Christ, the Jews were prohibited from eating all of those things at one time. Paul is saying that these things are not unclean anymore. And every Christian, Jew and Gentile alike, have the freedom to eat these things if their conscience permit them. But he also is saying, as these things are clean for anyone, these things are unclean for those who think that they are unclean. But wait a minute, Pastor, you just said that Paul just said that everything that's unclean isn't unclean anymore. But then you say that it is unclean if people think it's unclean. What do you mean? Well, this goes back to what Paul had said before. Every person, as we talked about, needs to be convinced in their own minds. People need to study out these issues for themselves and be prayerful about these, these things for themselves and come to their own conclusion. And Paul says that they are clean but each person must come to that conclusion and that conviction on their own. They must wrestle with the issue and decide for themselves. And if their conscience is because of the way they grew up or the way that they had back or their background says, you know what? I can't eat bacon. I can't bring myself to do it. It's unclean. Right? Then they shouldn't eat it because for them it is unclean. Because it's. It violates their conscience. If Paul says in verse 23, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Paul is saying, if someone can eat a pork chop with a clean conscience, I mean, what Paul is saying is if someone cannot eat a, a, a pork chop with a clean conscience, then they, they shouldn't eat it, even though they're free to do so. If someone can't drink a glass of wine with dinner because their conscience bothers them, then they shouldn't do so. It's sin for them. Paul makes it clear that the conscience of every believer is an important part of the relationship with God. It is how God is working through the Holy Spirit to inform and enlighten and change and shape us. We must be careful not to violate our consciences. And so they shouldn't exercise those freedoms in Christ because their conscience bothers them. But how does our freedom... For those of us whose consciences don't bother us, how does that cause a stumbling block or become a trap for our brothers and sisters in Christ who, whose consciences do struggle with those things? That's what Paul is driving at here. He says in verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. This is where this gets hard 
This is where we have to begin to put away selfishness. Because the word greed here means to experience deep emotional pain. And we live in a culture where we are kind of tired of people's deep emotional pain being pushed on us in every possible way. Right? But it means to be in distress. And the idea that Paul is conveying here is that even though that a person has, has the freedom to do things like eat meat, they may, that may have been sacrificed to idol or drink wine or, or such, though they're not inherently wrong, some Christians whose consciences who are weaker might see these things as wrong and take deep offense to them to the point that it causes them emotional pain. Paul says, if this is the case, and your brother is in Christ is grieved or offended or emotionally hurt by your exercise of freedom in non-essential areas, you are really not walking in love for them. You have put your freedom above your love for them. And that has become a trap for them. But I slow down there because this is something I've had to really reflect on and think about. Because, again, we've, we live in a, a culture that's oversaturated by everybody else's emotions. And, 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 and unfortunately, the world is filled full of words like trigger warnings and, you know, um, safe spaces. And, and, and what happens is we just become desensitized to all this outpouring of outrage against us. And we almost feel entitled to just not care anymore about what people think. But Paul goes on and says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one whom Christ died. And then in verse 20, he repeats and says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Those are, that's big words. Those are big words there, destroy. Right? Everything is indeed clean. He reaffirms it. He says it's clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, believe me, there's a lot of ways we can approach this, but the overarching point I want to I just kind of stay with is that Paul, that what he's making here is even though he doesn't use the word strong and weak here like he did before, what he's in essence saying is, is those of you who are strong in some areas need to be careful not to cause those who are not as strong, those weaker brothers and sisters, to fall. We need to be careful not to cause them to stumble into sin. That's what he's saying. Just because you have freedom in a non-essential area, don't use that freedom that causes your brother to fall. And, and this is certainly a sticky, messy, complex issue. And there's a lot of ways to look at this, but I think the easiest example that Paul brings up, I think that really helps to explain things in our context, context is those who drink wine or partake partake in alcohol christians have freedom in this area and we've talked about this this is an issue that christians really only have argued in the last 200 years about actually this wasn't really an issue before that and there are a lot of people today who still have very strong opinions about it. But the fact remains for all of those people who would posture and, and all of the legalism and all of the pervasive, you know, Christian Americana culture, the scripture nowhere 
condemns the consumption of wine or alcohol. It simply condemns the excess and drunkenness. And so this is an area of Christian freedom, whether we like it to be or not. And some Christians feel okay living in that freedom, and some Christians don't. And some Christians, for them, it's a touchy issue. And for some, it's a very emotional and deeply disturbing and distressing issue. That's why Christians need to be wise and careful in how they walk in this and exercise their freedom in this. Because alcohol can be a huge stumbling block for many people in the faith. Alcohol is a huge issue for people who battle addiction. For those who struggle with alcoholism, some people struggle to the point that they have to avoid everyone around them who might partake in that. Even Christians walking in freedom. Otherwise, they might be tempted to fall headlong into the addiction themselves and destroy their lives all over again. Other groups of people who maybe are a little bit more immature in the faith, who observing Christians partaking in alcohol could be led to believe that this freedom means being able to live and party like they used to when they were younger, falling into excess and drunkenness and the loss of control that accompanies that, which is clearly sin. And even worse, maybe destroy their witness with their family and their friends. Or what about the weaker in the faith? Maybe, maybe they're new or maybe they're not, right? But in their hearts, they see this as something devastatingly wrong. Maybe they grew up in an abusive household with an alcoholic parent. Maybe their best friend was killed by a drunk driver. Maybe they have seen whole communities fall into chaos over this substance. Maybe they have friends and family members who use alcohol as a refuge and end up destroying their lives. Or for whatever reason, their conscience says that it's wrong, that it's not good and not God-honoring. But then they become part of a family of believers and build relationships and begin to grow. And then they encounter someone in their church who not only lives in this Christian freedom, but who is unapologetic about it and, and celebrated openly. And maybe they're even a bit in your face about it. Sometimes Christians can get a little bit in your face about stuff. This causes them to stumble because they think, what hypocrites, what hubris, not considering the impact of this on other people. And these weaker people in the faith then begin, rather than being strengthened by the people walking in their freedom, are deeply distressed and offended and then walk away from the church. Now, Paul's not talking about walking away from saving faith here. That's a whole different issue. What he's talking about is walking away from the lifeblood of, of the Christian maturity, the family of God that they so desperately need. They walk away from the church and the ordinary means of grace that would help them to grow. You see, these issues of freedom are not simply a matter of opinion. They're matters of unity amongst the body of Christ, all of whom by the way, come from diverse backgrounds. All of us with our own unique experiences. All of us with our own struggles and hurts and fears and frustrations and differing levels of maturity. And there are many areas like this where people unwittingly use their freedom in non-essential areas in a way that drives many people away from the fellowship. People use their right to make up their own minds about things in a way that pushes their brothers and sisters in Christ away. 
And it's not just those who find freedom in, in drinking alcohol. There are also those who strongly oppose the consumption of alcohol, who in their Christian freedom to abstain from it. But rather than just abstaining from it for themselves, they feel so strongly about the subject that they, be, they become vocal about their opinion and they use their freedom to abstain, to lampoon and chastise those who don't abstain. And we can go down the list of things, of non-essential things that, to our faith that we feel strongly about that can be stumbling blocks to fellowship for, the, for other people around us. Things like clothing or the music people listen to or the television shows that people watch or the movies they watch or whether or not people feel free to watch or participate in sports. There are people who have strong opinions about everything, including people who are willing to fight about and divide over what energy drink that you partake in. And I'm not joking. I am not joking. I wish I was. But the sad reality, there is a Christian woman who is on a crusade, a personal crusade against the Monster Energy Drink Corporation. And, and the, to the point that she has created an entire ministry that's being supported and funded by other people where she goes around to churches and goes to conferences trying to convince everyone of the evils of drinking Monster Energy Drink. And she, she believes and she teaches like she has some kind of authority that the monster logo is the symbol for 666, which is the silliest thing that I've ever heard. And I've, I've actually listened to her whole presentation, and it is just, it is absurd. But she is convinced. And she says that one of the characters in the name of monster has, has something that looks like a cross that resembles, you know, resembles a cross. And that when you finally, this is what she says, when you drink that monster and you finish it and you turn it upside down, you're taking the cross and turning the cross upside down. Therefore, you are, you are giving your allegiance to the devil. And, 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 and Fernando's laughing, but it's real. It is real. Right? And it is funny, but it's, it's not. Right. And she doesn't simply see them, see this as a personal freedom issue, right? But rather, she sees this as a major spiritual issue with eternal consequences. And so she travels around the country setting up presentations, spreading this nonsense as if she's some evangelist. But rather than telling people about what they need to hear with respect to the gospel of grace, she's on a personal mission to defame this energy drink company. Now, she's free to drink or not to drink these energy drinks all, all she wants. Right? That's, not essential, that's not an essential issue to her faith, right? And she is free to think whatever she wants to think about the company. She can see them as good or she can see them as bad. That is not the problem. The problem is her use of her freedom to not just try to bind the consciences of other people, but she has actually become a stumbling block for many people in, to the fellowship, because if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want to be one. Right? I don't want to be seen as a part of those crazies. Because I'm not crazy like that. I think. If you disagree, just keep it to yourself, please. Thank you. If that's what it means to be part of the church, then I don't want to be part of the church. I don't want to have anything to do with that kind of nuttiness. I don't want to be in fellowship with people like that. I don't want to be around people who look down on me for the way that I might decide to take my caffeine in the morning. This is not an essential issue, right? And again, the list goes on and on with respect to how we, we wave our banner of freedom 
to think on what we think and believe about non-essential issues in a way that grieves our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and that is one of the reasons why the church is so divided. That's the reason why so many people are leaving the church, because so many people in the church right, love their Christian freedom more than they love their brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's a hard reality to swallow, but it's the truth. Now, please, I want you to hear me. Don't twist my words. Right? Don't say, Pastor Sherman said we need to give up our freedoms as Americans and love some people who don't like America. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, That's not what I'm saying. I'm as American as anyone else, and I value the freedoms that this country has afforded us, and I believe those freedoms are endowed by God himself, and no man or government has the right to take them from us. But what I'm saying is in the body of Christ We have great freedom in many areas, but we should voluntarily, out of love, temper those freedoms in order to be loving to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be willing to be patient with those people who just don't know the things that we know. We should be careful not to get cross-threaded with those whose maturity level isn't like our own. We need to recognize that there are times that we were just like them in some respects. And so if drinking alcohol offends your brothers and sisters in Christ, then don't drink it around them. If eating pork grieves the consciences of your brothers and sisters in Christ, don't bring it to the potluck. But let's just get down to the nitty gritty of our freedoms. If your brother and sisters in Christ think that Donald Trump is the embodiment of evil and, and you know how much he offends them, Do you still go ahead and walk into the church fellowship with your MAGA hat on or your Joe Biden stinks t-shirt? I mean, you have the freedom to. Or do you love them enough to set aside that personal freedom in order to not wound them and preserve the unity of the faith? Do you love your freedom more than your brother and sister in Christ? And unfortunately, when it comes to politics, on both sides, it seems that that seems to be more important than our common Christian faith. I've been reading a book titled The Great De-Churching, and and this book describes the harsh reality of the condition that the church is in today. And it's a harsh truth. There is a great de-churching that has been happening over the last few decades, but it's accelerated since the pandemic. And the shift in American culture is greater than the shift that occurred during the, both the Great Awakenings. If, you, if you're not aware, the Great Awakenings were two different periods in, in American history where there, there was just this sense of revival that broke out in, um, in America. And the people who identified as Christians, the, the numbers skyrocketed and church attendance rose and benevolence giving um, just increased. And there was just this movement of God that where you could see that there were more and more, the vast majority of Americans identified with the God of the Bible. And it had a huge cultural impact. Well, the great de-churching movement right now that's taking place has a larger shift in, um, in metrics than than the great, both the Great Awakenings put together, but in an opposite direction. People are leaving the church at a rate that's alarming. And the churches that are most affected are the ones, are the small and the medium churches. Small and medium church families are disappearing from the landscape. 
bigger churches are affected, but not as much because there's a little bit more kind of like generic sense to them. But overall, church membership is declining at a rapid rate. And there are lots of reasons, and I'm not going to go into all of them for this great dechurching. Some people have left because, you know, they they were they got used to not coming back to the church during the pandemic and it just became convenient not to come back. Some people have left for other reasons, like, you know, we're just busy and my kids have travel softball, right? But the big ones, there are people who are leaving, right? Not simply because the gospel is offensive or because they can't handle true biblical preaching. Many people have left the church because the way they've been treated inside of the church by their what they by people that are called their brothers and sisters in Christ. And a huge part of these people who who are the culprits are those who love their freedom more than they love their brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want you to understand when I say that it's not that that we overtly decide I'm going to love my freedom more than I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's just kind of something that happens to us. There are people in the church who think so highly of themselves and their own opinions and their own conclusions that they seem to be indifferent when it comes to the grieving and the offending of their brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why some will, will go up to others and make rude comments about things like their clothes. I've heard, I've heard it with my own ears, people using their freedom to make jokes, but not really joking, but kind of pointed barbs to say, to, to mention about someone wearing pants that have holes in them. By the way, that's kind of the fashion nowadays, right? Another one I've heard was somebody like commenting on a person's, you know, extra piercings, right? And, and, and kind of lumping them in with a tackle box and fishing lures. I'm like, you're, you're, not, you're not funny, right? These are, these are, they act like these are jokes, but they're like personal little digs and they inflict hurt on people. And there have been people who, who have actually left the church over comments just like that. And I've actually called them and talked to them. And they said, you know, I, I appreciate that, but I just feel too uncomfortable. And I just feel judged for being there. So I'm not coming back over something non-essential. And then some, the same thing can be said about politics. If there's anything that people are passionate about nowadays, if there's any real division in our country today, it is politics. And as of late, it seems like people in the church are talking past each other. And, and there seems to be little room for, for a chance to have a conversation. And, and, and for some on either side, who you vote for is actually the test of whether or not you really love Jesus. And that's the part that breaks my heart the most. I've heard people say, if you, people say, I don't know how a person who is a Christian can vote for Joe Biden, right? And I've heard people say, I don't even know how you can call yourself a Christian if you say that you voted for Donald Trump. I mean, and, and, and they are so dead set in those fields that they can't even like even talk. There's not even like any room for brotherly love. I've seen people stop being friends over this issue. I've seen people stop talking to one another over this issue and certainly to stop worshiping together over these political issues. And this is a huge reason why people are leaving the church. People major on the minors and minor on the majors. And I want you to hear me. These aren't, I'm not saying these aren't important things to us individually. But they're not essential to our common faith in Christ. But many people prioritize their Christian freedoms and they prize their own intellect and prize their own opinions more than they love their brothers and sisters in Christ. But here again, Paul's words 
For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do you destroy the one whom Christ died? So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual ability. Now, there is so much more to say on this. And we'll probably come back to this after the new year because Christmas is upon us. (laughs) And then the new year. But with that, what we've seen in the scriptures and what we've seen in the word and what we've seen in the church at large and what we've seen in our own little church family at times, let's talk practically about how we can live this out for the glory of God and the good of our church family. Because we don't want to be stumbling blocks for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't want to hurt them in pursuit of our own freedoms. And so there are four things I want to leave with you today as we prepare ourselves for Christmas and and think about how we can be the kind of people that, that, that draw people to Christ, that we're willing to set aside those things that that create conflict, that we're, we're willing to show people the, the love and the light of Christ. And, and the first one is, is what Paul says in verse 19. He says, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutually mutual upbuilding. We ought to state to live at peace with all people. But we especially ought to seek to live at peace with our church family and seek to build each other up. And I have to admit, in my own Christian life, there's just something I've not been good at at times. There have been times where I have been stubborn and pig-headed right, and self-righteous in how I feel about things. And if you look at the letter of the law, you can say, yeah, you're right. You have the freedom to do that. But then, on the other hand, have I been in the exercise of my freedom? Have I wounded one of my brothers and sisters in Christ? And I have to admit, there have been times in my life I have. We need to adopt this attitude as brothers and sisters in Christ, to seek peace with one another. We should be genuinely loving one another, understanding that we are held together by the greatest gift there has ever been given, and that is the grace of God. The entire world is trying to tear us down. We ought to be building each other up and encouraging each other, lifting each other up, holding each other together, Even if there are differences between us, we should seek mutual peace and edification. We should seek to to strengthen each other for for our own individual lives. And the basis of this is the second thing, which is love. We ought to walk in love for each other. And and, and it's funny that the Bible often describes us as walking in love because it helps us to see that this is not an emotional, touchy-feely kind of love. This is a this is something you do. This is a practical, volitional love. Oftentimes, it's a love that you do in spite of how you feel. We ought to seek to love each other with our actions and attitudes, even if there are important things that we don't see the eye on. The reality is, is I don't need to win all of the battles here and now because the war's already been won by Christ. And the third, we need to recognize that there, this is how we serve Christ. Hear what Paul says. 
By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. That's the service that we're called to render as Christians. Paul's saying the way that we serve Christ in a way that, that, that God accepts is for us to be willing on our own volition to love him and to love each other more than our personal right to express all of our opinions or our personal freedom to, to eat or to drink or to do whatever. Loving people enough to seek righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then finally, we ought to practice what Paul describes here. He said, it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, this isn't a prescription that you are to keep your faith private, as some people have speciously have taught. This is not about your, your faith between you and God being private so you never talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ or never call people to repent and believe the gospel. This is about you walking in your freedom in a way that protects your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe there are some things that you walk in freedom with just between you and God, right? Meaning that maybe you don't eat pork chops at the potluck, but you do it to the glory of God at home, right? That's the idea that Paul is suggesting here. We need to rejoice in the freedom that we have and walk in that freedom. But oftentimes that needs to be something that we keep between us and God. This is a call to be aware of the context that we find ourselves in. That we love our brothers and sisters in Christ enough to set aside those freedoms so we can help them and not be a hindrance to them. Now, I know this is a big prescription right here. Like, I want you to know, like, this is part of the reason why it's taken so long to kind of work through Romans 14 is because there's no real easy, clear way to just say, do these nine things and go home and you'll be fine. This is, this is an area we, got, we all have to grow and mature in. This is an area we have to seek God's wisdom and counsel in. This is where we have to go back to the scriptures and pour ourselves into them and ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and, and convict us when we're wrong about some of these things. This is part of that discipline. But I want you to hear me on this. You will never go wrong. You will never go wrong in your love for God to seek to love to the best of your ability, your brothers and sisters in Christ, even if that means setting aside your freedoms, even if it means keeping your mouth shut on things that you feel very strongly about, even if that means that you walk beside people who you have great disagreements with. You never, ever, ever will go wrong loving the body You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.